somebody wake me? Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> Jay Soderbergh. That's me. John Luckenbaum. That's him. Two podcasting veterans. One from the production space. And one from the outer space. And we're, we're, we're QNO. Weekly news and tips in podcasting. On podcasts. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. My name is Jay Soderberg, a.k.a. Pod Vader, a.k.a. Not Dead Yet. His name is John Luckenbaugh. He is the co-host of this show and the founder of the Queued Up Podcasting Agency. Hello, John. Glad to still be here with you. Jay, what's up, man? I hope you're, hope you're doing good. Uh, just to peel back the curtain a little bit, I had a choking fit, a massive choking fit right before we started recording. And so uh, I'm still clearing my throat, but I'll be okay. I'll, I'll get through it. I got plenty of beverage, so I should be able to keep myself hydrated through the show. Plus, John does a great job. You're not going to hear any mistakes anyway. John, how can people get in touch with you if they are interested in the Queued Up podcasting services? You can reach us through our website, which is queuedup.com. That's qd-up.com through email, which is info at queuedup.com or through any of our social channels. I will give you my contact information a little bit later in the show, but uh, we have a number of business topics to get to this week, and it starts with some huge acquisition news. Just when we thought all the acquisitions were done, oh no, there was a biggie. iHeartRadio bought Triton Digital, which is a huge deal, $230 million deal, to be (laughs) really specific on how huge of a deal it is. But it's more than just acquiring Triton Digital that makes this deal so big. It also has to deal with the fact that Triton also is an owner of Omni Studios, which is part of the deal. Now, iHeartRadio just bought VoxNest Spreaker for $50 million in October, which is a little confusing to say the least. The amount of different platforms that iHeartMedia now owns is quite vast, but really the biggest part of this is they have an one-stop shop at iHeartMedia. They now have hosting, they now have ad sales, they have dynamic ad insertion, they have ad tech <laughs> for all of this. It's uh, it's really quite an interesting acquisition here. With the purchase of the company, that should give a lot more people access to all these packages, right? So not just the huge enterprises, right? It's all the way down to the the smaller independent podcasters. I mean, you would hope so. I mean, we just had wonderful conversation about the platformization of podcasting with Professor John Sullivan just last week. So be sure to check out that episode in our feeds, wherever great podcasts are heard. But there's no reason for iHeartMedia to go anywhere else for anything. No. What's interesting, though, and as you read more and more about this deal, is just how much of the competitors own each other. In this particular instance, Global, which is a UK-based media company, and a lot of it is in ad sales, like Triton Digital, has invested 8.8% of their revenues into iHeartMedia. Basically, they've purchased 8.8% of iHeartMedia. Global and Triton Digital are competitors with one another. Liberty Media which is another big broadcasting company in the United States, owns a 5% stake of iHeartMedia, also owns 74% of SiriusXM. <laughs> Not to make it even more 
confusing, but iHeart shows, their originals, are currently hosted on Megaphone, which is now owned by Spotify. But iHeart now owns not only VoxNest with Spreaker, <laughs> but also now Omni Studios with this Triton Digital deal. So both of those are competitors to Megaphone. <laughs> and this is not a unique problem. Uh, I'm reading in this newsletter, the author could come up with 20 or more of these types of examples of what's going on in, in the way competitors are investing in each other. They now have Spreaker and Omni. How are they going to make use of Omni? Because isn't it like the same kind of platform? It is. I will say Omni has always touted itself uh, to a better degree than Spreaker ever did in acquiring enterprise customers, those big broadcasters. So for instance, a couple of the companies that are currently using Omni are places like Stitcher, Cumulus, Cast, and All Things Comedy. These are big, big podcasting publishers. Obviously, Cumulus is another broadcasting company that uses Omni for their podcasting uses. Not to mention all of the deals that iHeart has in place with people like Charlemagne the God, Will Ferrell, Shondaland, Pushkin Enterprises, and many more uh, content deals that they have in place. To me, iHeart Media is is fascinating in all this. They clearly have gone all in on podcasting. They see the value. They seem to be making money. Remember, before they made all these acquisitions, iHeart Media went bankrupt. Right, they, right. They had declared bankruptcy and just got out of bankruptcy. And now they're purchasing all these other companies. They have to be seeing some value in, in making all of these purchases, I would assume. So then that makes you wonder, why is scripts, why are they getting out of audio? That, my friend, is a very interesting question because, as I have seen written, EW Scripts bought Triton Digital for $150 million in 2018 and Omni Studios for $8.5 million in 2019. They sold Stitcher to SiriusXM for $325 million in 2020. And so EW Scripts has made a total profit of $342 million in just a few years, 2018 to 2021. My math wow. is correct. I went to Emerson. That's only three years. Uh, that's not bad to make $342 million yeah. in just a few years. Now, they went in on audio just three years ago. Why are they getting out of audio now? That's the interesting question that I don't have an answer to, but I will say I have seen that their strategy seems to be more focused on the video side of things, specifically their TV properties. And they're making a big push with Discovery, which they own all of the Discovery properties. And Discovery Plus, the streaming platform, just went live a few weeks ago. So that could also be why EW Scripts is acquiring this money to pay for their video services. With this acquisition, this deal gives iHeart, like you've mentioned, a full slate of uh, the audio advertising technology and measurement capabilities. So that kind of makes them the... Google ad manager for audio, would you say? I don't know if I can go that far, but Triton, as an advertiser, has deals with more than just podcasts on Omni Studios. Triton has advertising deals everywhere, including with Stitcher, including with Art19, I believe. I mean, Triton is literally everywhere. If you're hearing ads, you're most likely hearing them from Triton. Right. They're that huge. And, and it's not just podcasting. Triton is very large in radio broadcasting as an ad service to media broadcasters. The fact that now one company owns the whole stack, like in this manner, 
is just fascinating. It's just, I almost wish I had John Sullivan here to sort of, <laughs> to sort of get his thoughts on, on this whole thing, because this really is creating, I mean, if iHeartMedia wanted to today or tomorrow, they could make a quick closed ecosphere and they do very well for themselves. Yeah. I was going to ask, is there really another company that can compare with the overall audio solutions for the industry and advertisers? The only other one would be Spotify right now. The Spotify has sort of a similar deal, obviously owning Megaphone, Sirius XM, Pandora is trying to do the same thing as they own Stitcher. And they also bought, I believe, Simplecast. Uh, so they have sort of a similar deal working there, but nothing to the extent of owning a Triton Digital. That's the biggie. That's sort of the eye-popping news there. So going back to last week's episode with Dr. Sullivan on, on platformization, it seems the winning solution will come down to ad tech, not exclusive content. I mean, we've already seen this in other recent acquisitions with Spotify and Megaphone and SiriusXM and Midroll, right? Well, here's the other interesting part of that, though, John, because iHeartMedia also has its listening app. So not only are they hosting, but they're a publisher as well. They give you a listening destination as well. In regards to the overall podcasting universe ecosphere, if you listen to Rob Walsh on the feed with Lipson, iHeart accounts for only 1% of all listening to podcasts over there. Now, even if all of the other hosting companies are getting 1% of listening on iHeartMedia, you can see there's still a very small portion of very, 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 I mean, we're talking insignificant portion of listening to podcasts out there. And by the way, I, I picked up on something in the Apple notes uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later from Daniel J. Lewis about how small that listening might actually be. Uh, mm. So stay tuned for that. That's, that's what we call a tease here in the business. I added a news piece here from AdsWiz, which came out literally at the time that we recorded this podcast. They have now been certified by the IAB Tech Lab for audibility. And I'm reading this from Pod News, James Cridlin, and his newsletter. With this in place, they say publishers and advertisers can now know for certain whether an ad was heard or not. To classify as a quote-unquote audible ad, the audio ad must play for two seconds with the player unmuted. If iHeartRadio has bought Triton Digital, and Spotify, as I mentioned, has probably the closest to the complete deck that iHeartRadio has, I would suggest to Spotify to go buy AdsWiz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. Or if SiriusXM, Stitcher, Pandora, that whole company is looking to get really serious, they should go buy AdsWiz. Mm. Put it this way, someone should go buy AdsWiz, and I would suspect <laughs> someone is looking into it. It'll happen. This next story is a little bit more actionable for, for the every podcaster, as NPR recently released a study on their podcast with marketing tips based on their own strategies. And I always find these very interesting because NPR obviously has a large budget for their yeah. podcasts. So when they release case studies like this, and you see that they're not doing anything necessarily all that different than what you or I are doing for our podcasts, and you see the success that they have, you have to wonder how much of it is because how much of their brand 
is recognized yep. in social media. When they suggest promoting your podcast, they are asking you to consider not just the when, but the how, and noting that podcasters have employed numerous tactics over the years. I'm reading directly from the report released by National Public Media, and there's a link in the show notes. Posting audiograms on social media to running cross-promotions and other podcasts, others have written on the subject on how to make paid marketing more effective. With budgets tightening, especially because of the pandemic, timing promotions to align with the cyclical interests of audiences is one method they use to optimize their campaigns. You don't see advertisements for skiing equipment in the middle of summer for a reason, is, is sort of their example. That makes sense not to sell ski equipment during the summer season. In a previous episode, I kind of remember you breaking down the idea of cyclical advertising. Can you run us through that again? So the ad season, if you will, sort of runs in conjunction with the seasons where we see things really pick up here in the spring. Currently here in February, we're still in the down part of the cycle, but we're going to see things pick up as we enter March. If you are a TV person or another media person, this is spring sweeps, right? This is when all the TV shows come back. We have all the new TV shows coming back live on the air. And that's because this is when they're getting new advertising dollars to pay for all these wonderful shows that we're watching. And the spring season will last from March to right about May. While it'll take a little bit of a hiatus, it won't dip as far as we've seen in January and February, but it's going to dip a little bit. And the thought process there is that, well, here in the United States, it's summertime and people are spending less time with their media devices than they are during the spring or the fall. As we've evolved as humans, I don't necessarily think that's necessarily true anymore as it was maybe back in, say, the 50s and 60s. But uh, that's that's the theory behind it. So there'll be a slight lull in advertising through the summer months, but then it will, it will spike to its highest in September. And that's because it's the beginning of a new fiscal year and it's the fall sweeps. That's why you have every single show premiering in September, because that is when you get the most advertising. Basically from September, running right up to the holidays, you notice all the big retail stores are making their push. You know, Black Friday happens within that that time period. So you're going to get a ton of advertising from September all the way up to December. And then once we get to the holiday season, I like to call it the death spiral. Because <laughs> <laughs> the advertising will dry up quite quickly in December, January, and February. This is the, the quietest time in regards to advertising dollars. That's awesome, Jay. That's so perfect. Do you find that across all mediums? Like, Does, does that run with podcasts too? Yes. The advertising cycle runs through all mediums. And while the theory behind that particular cycle may not make much sense, like I mentioned, it's still the cycle that the ad sales people are running on. I would suggest, especially if you are in sales for podcasting, that you make your biggest push going right into the winter time. Because as we can see, and as we will discuss over the Apple numbers, you're going to see a huge influx of new podcasts in the month of January and a huge influx in listening during the month of January and February. So you're actually missing out on a huge opportunity for new audience slash new buyers of your product. Using that same example, 
the you don't sell skiing equipment in the middle of summer. You want to align your promotions with your audience interest. This just makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. But using a tool like Google Trends to identify when topics really spike and using the example of New Year's resolutions, well, they spike each year in January. But topics like eating healthier or working out, they will spike obviously in January too, but they're going to spike at other times during the year as the year progresses. And you can see when those spikes occur using Google Trends. We've seen that with our podcast and our clients too, Jade's One, the day and time of posting the podcast and social media to coincide with your audience's most active times. And then using the those trends and analytics to identify topics that your audience will find most valuable. To further that, we have a show much like Life Kit, which is the example NPR is using, that has very evergreen information in it. Yes, we'll talk about topical things like Triton Digital being acquired by iHeartMedia, but a lot of the advice and a lot of the topics that we're discussing, you can re-listen to months from now, and there's not going to be a lot of change in sort of the advice that we're giving you based on whatever that topical news is. It's a matter of how do you promote that in a proper way, because you can reuse those episodes to promote those older episodes and promote listening on those older episodes. And if you're a podcast that is monetizing, having dynamic ad insertion as you're promoting those older episodes, that back catalog becomes very important so that you're monetizing those new listens to your older episodes. I think definitely in regards to NPR and their life kit, which talks about all sorts of things like forming habits and understanding weight loss, topics that are really, really, really evergreen, having the ability to go back and promote those older episodes that are still relevant, you know, years down the road, uh, becomes that much more important to advertisers or to properly monetize with dynamic advertising uh, because of that. The one part here where they go into about their partnerships with podcast apps didn't stop there, that Spotify helped reach their new audiences throughout the year by featuring LifeKit and many of their playlists. Yeah. Uh, that's just cross-promotion, correct? It's, it's simple cross-promotion, but it's also cross-promotion that you're not going to get, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, they're NPR, so obviously their brand being partnered up with Apple and having a partnership with Apple so that their shows are featured in New and Noteworthy and being partnered with Spotify so that their shows are featured in featured playlists on Spotify. This is just going to obviously lead to a bunch of listens that you're never going to get yourself. More independent podcaster, how can they use the cross-promotion? Well, this is where the independent podcaster will either need to create a monetary budget so that they can buy into a service like such as Spreaker Cells to promote their show in other podcasts, be part of Red Circle, which has a wonderful cross-promotion plan built into their hosting platform, or do a lot of hard legwork and find other podcasts similar to yours and create a sort of mutually beneficial cross-promotion system with other podcasters of a similar genre. At the beginning of the report, one of the things I found interesting was the average minutes Americans spend per day with all podcasts. 
it shows here that an estimation of 2021 will be 15.6 minutes per day, and then 2022 will be 16.9 minutes per day, which would be about two hours a week on podcasts or four 30-minute podcasts a week. What did you say was the share of ears for a podcast for a week? Yeah, I believe two years ago it was seven. I believe last year's study showed that it was that I had fallen back to six podcasts per week, but right around six to seven podcasts per week. So they're seeing a little bit less than that as far as the NPR podcasts. Well, also understanding that if their number one show is NPR News Now, that's a podcast that is published daily. And if you're listening to that six to seven podcasts is not separate podcasts. Those are six to seven podcast episodes per week. If you're listening to NPR News Daily, boom, there goes your six <laughs> right off the bat. Right. So I wonder how long their NPR News Now is. I wonder if that's only 15 minutes long. I do believe that is a shorter podcast. Whereas Fresh Air, Planet Money, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, those are those are, they're not necessarily long podcasts, but they're a more traditional 30 to 60 minutes. Right. That's one of my favorite podcasts that they, that they are part of is Planet Money. It should be everyone's favorite podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the, the chart here where it says the podcast sponsorship is an effective way to drive purchase intent? Where NPR sponsor messages are perceived as 13% more sincere than other podcast ads. And podcast listeners are 14.5% more likely to purchase a product after listening to an NPR sponsor message versus other podcast ads. Yeah. That seems to kind of make sense. It showed their spike in listening during the, the fall months here with their election coverage. So I guess people consider NPR a, a trusted resource for that kind of information. That seems like that would be kind of logical, right? It falls back to all those other reports that we've mentioned that, you know, when a dedicated listener hears an ad from the host of their favorite podcast, they're just more likely to, one, believe the message that's being told to them uh, mm. because they like that particular host, and B, will purchase that product because, again, they feel like they are supporting their favorite host. As we become a trusted information source for podcasts, if we run an ad for Matt's Chewy Chocolate Chip Recipe, then the audience might not hesitate to buy those delicious cookies. I will tell you right now, the day that Matt releases that chewy chocolate chip recipe uh, is the day I get really, really fat. <laughs> I mean, I'm already fat, but I'll be really, really fat at that particular point. And it will be the greatest chocolate chip cookie recipe you've ever seen. That is for sure. Maybe that's a bad example. Maybe we should look more at like a uh a mic recommendation or something like that. I would take it the opposite way, right? It would be like if we are a trusted source of podcasting news and analysis and recommendations, and we went and we were to promote a product that gave you a shoddy recording 99% of the time that you end up using that particular product. And our audience went to use the product because we recommended it. Well, we would lose all their trust. And we'd probably lose them as a listener at that particular point in time. Kind of like a squad cast or something like that where... I wasn't mentioning names, John. I was trying to be nice and leave names out of it. But yes, if we were to sit here after we went through two months of using different products and ultimately 
discovering that none of the products that we used were ultimately ones that we could trust in using 100% of the time to get 100% quality audio 100% of the time. Yeah, I would say we would be dishonest with the audience. Now, that said, I think what we've discovered is, again, I don't think it's groundbreaking news, that a local recording that is then mixed by a professional is going to sound the best (laughs) at the end of the day than anything that you're going to get from any recording platform. Right. Not to take us off into a tangent or anything like that. (laughs) Awesome. Like I said, there's some other good charts in here, and there's some stuff in here about COVID-19. There's some other things about podcast listeners and how they appreciate brands. So highly recommend that uh, you give it a look-see. And obviously, NPR is a trusted news source. So I think you can trust a lot of the things that they're going to talk about. And when we mention the podcasts that are tops for them, you might notice that a lot of these are tops of any of the listening charts that get released by a PodTrack or Chartable or Edison Research. So this is information coming from the top podcasters. Are you ready to go into those Apple numbers, John? Yeah, let's see what they have on the site today. Well, I, I, uh, this was totally accidental that I ran into something that I okay. thought was a little interesting. And we are using the numbers thanks to Daniel J. Lewis and his uh, website, podcastindustryinsights.com. Uh, where he has made it public, the numbers that he tracks in the Apple Podcast app, in particular, the total number of podcasts that are active in the app and how many are inactive. One of the things that I was looking at, though, was the total number of new podcasts in the last seven days. And I did a quick count uh, based on his charts. And It equaled approximately 28,000 new podcasts just in the last week uh, were added to the Apple Podcasting app. When you look at the most recent activity, so he has a chart on his site that will tell you how many podcasts had released a new episode in the last week. And that total number is just over 277,000. So something to consider here is on any given week, you're going to hear only 277,000 new episodes in any given week. And of that, 28,000 of those are brand new podcasts. When we understand like how many active, you know, what Daniel has listed as active, meaning they've released a new episode in the last 90 days. And that number is only just over 726,000. I mean, even take that number and compare it. So the total number of active podcasts, active defined as one episode in the last 90 days, is 726,000. Total number of podcasts that released an episode in the last week, which you could assume would be a weekly podcast, is 277,000. That means there are 500,000, or just a little less than that, 500,000, half a million podcasts that release on a greater than weekly schedule. It was just something that I thought was a little interesting as people look at sort of the total number of podcasts in the Apple podcast app being 1.897 million podcasts. Did I just blow your mind, John, or what? Yeah, I'm just trying to crunch these numbers, man. Okay, so go back to the last point you said. So there's 500,000 podcasts that release more than one episode a week? No, 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 no. 
they release on a schedule greater than once a week. So they're releasing like twice they're releasing month. either twice a month or once okay. a month. Okay, I got you. I got you. So basically what I'm saying is there's only 200 and what is the number I wrote down in my notes? 277,000 that so, are yes. releasing only on a weekly basis. That are releasing on a weekly basis of the 700 or so thousand that are active. And if you want to make it even further, there are 1.8 million podcasts in the Apple Podcast app, but only 277,000 new episodes a week. That makes it seem a lot smaller than <laughs> still 277,000 is a lot of a lot of podcasts, but compared to 1.8 million, yeah. And I do believe we just noted that NPR News Now is a daily podcast. So that eliminates at least five. You could take five more episodes off of that. Because if you're a daily podcast, then they refresh their... Is, is that what you're saying? Because there'll be five episodes in that week. So to have at least one episode during the week, well, now you have five. <laughs> it's great. It, it's, trust me. The, the, the numbers can get really, really crazy really, really quickly. So if there's 277,000 new episodes every week, NPR News Now is five of those episodes. NPR News Now is not the only daily podcast. No. As a matter of fact, as all of these radio companies are getting involved in podcasting, they're releasing their radio shows as podcasts. Those are daily. Not only are they daily, they usually release them hourly, right? So if you have a four-hour radio show, those four hours usually get released as individual episodes. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know how many broadcast radio stations account for the number of podcasts in the Apple Podcast app. I don't even know if that's possible to figure out, but I'll bet it's a significant chunk of that 277,000. So are you saying that these numbers aren't as sexy as what the, what we've been thinking? I'm not saying anything about the sexiness of the numbers. I'm just trying to help folks understand that the total number of podcasts that we end up talking about is a lot smaller than 1.8 million. That's what I'm ultimately trying to get to, is that we're only interested in a very, very, very small percentage of the total number of podcasts available in the Apple Podcast app. I yeah. hope I didn't blow everyone's mind just now. Let me pick up the pieces here, Jay. Remember when we did this about Spotify a couple episodes ago? Yep. And how unsexy <laughs> the Spotify <laughs> number actually was? Yeah. I didn't mean to I didn't mean to end the show on a downer. Makes sense. I mean I mean the other thing is knowing if you have a weekly podcast that your competition is a lot smaller than you think it is. Yeah. That said, it's still impossible for you to have your show featured in that large megaphone like NPR's. So I'm wondering if Daniel J. Lewis could crunch any numbers to see how many so what what would you say? How many actual shows there are? Uh, yeah. is, there, is, there a possi- is there a way to do that? You know, eventually we're going to have an episode that talks about the vocabulary of podcasting mm. because the word podcast can be used in like five different ways. True. To mean something completely different. It can mean a show. It can mean an episode. It can mean an RSS feed. It can mean a whole bunch of different things, which makes a lot of this even more confusing, especially to someone just getting involved. I recently just came across an article about how radio stations seem to be struggling to make money at podcasting. Doesn't seem like iHeartMedia is having that much trouble making money. Uh, They certainly don't have a problem spending it. But 
If you're still struggling to make money in podcasting, whether you're an independent podcaster and that's your goal, or you're a broadcast entity and you have to, then you're not doing it right. And there are a number of people, myself included, that can help you obtain your goal and attain it rather quickly. And it's very easy to do. Just saying. I think that's the way we can end. And if you are interested in utilizing me to help you with those goals, you can reach me at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter. My DMs are open. I'm very easy to reach out to. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn as Pod Vader. Again, very easy to find if you do a Google search. Nextfanup at gmail.com. If you prefer to send me an email, I will talk to you there. That is the email to my other little podcast that I do about the NFL. John, if they are interested in your services to help them with podcasting, how do they do so? You can find us on our website, which is qdup.com, qd-up.com, by email, info at qdup.com, or through any of our social channels. That is fantastic. John, I don't want to jinx it, so I won't say his name, but I do believe we have a very special guest coming up next week. Very excited to talk to this particular individual. If we don't have a very special guest. We will still be here to provide you all with thoughts and ideas on the business and technical side of podcasting. Until then, there you have it.